Traveling the Vortex, Side Trip. Welcome once again to another side trip. I am Sean, your Star Trek guru at Traveling the Vortex, and we are going to talk the next generation movies today. This is Star Trek 208, the continuingly uh, misnomers of the naming conventions at work here with trying to do these as uh, college courses. <laughs> Uh, so where I last left off, at least on the Next Generation front, we had just finished talking about Season 7, and I gave you a couple of recommendations of things you could or could not view. And so now I want to take some of the other movies that have been released since then, starting with Star Trek Generations. Oh, where to start with uh, Star Trek Generations? So after seven seasons of uh, The Next Generation, uh, Star Trek was really riding a... Uh, unprecedented wave of popularity and access. Um, in, in 1994, Next Gen wrapped up its production on television. Deep Space Nine was ongoing uh, through its production on television, and Star Trek Voyager was getting ready to start. It would have a January 1995 release. And in between those three shows, going and coming, Paramount released Star Trek Generations, the first big screen adventure with Picard and company. Uh, and, uh, well, it wasn't, uh, it's not big enough on its own to do this as a big, uh, big movie motion picture event. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, Captain Kirk as well. So, Kirk, Scotty, and Chekhov, um, members from the original series, actually do appear in an extended prologue sequence on board the Enterprise B at the beginning of this film. There's an accident. I suppose I should sound the spoiler warning here because we will go into a little bit of detail on some of these. There is an accident on the maiden voyage of the Enterprise B, and uh, Kirk is uh, presumed to have been killed. In reality, he has entered an extra-dimensional realm, something called the Nexus, where you can essentially uh, live out your wildest fantasies and... Uh, uh, you know, play mind games with yourself. The Enterprise D encounters a deranged scientist, wonderfully played by Malcolm McDowell, but uh, Malcolm McDowell is wonderful in everything. And uh, his uh, character, Soren, is essentially trying to get back to the Nexus. Uh, he was involved in the, uh, the, the situation that the risk of the Enterprise B was attempting to rescue people who had gotten caught up in this energy ribbon, and he felt like he had been ripped away from this joyful experience, and now he wants nothing more than to get back to it, to the extent where he's willing to lie, cheat, and kill for it. In this case, he is detonating stars with an experimental torpedo that causes gravitational shifts throughout the sector and changes the course of the ribbon in order for it to wash over a planetoid that he has um, figured out where it's going to be at. And he's successful. He uh, um, does manage to detonate a star, destroys the Enterprise-D, crashes on the surface of Viridian 3, and then uh, the Nexus washes over the planet and sucks everybody up 
into the, uh, the state of joy. Picard, being Picard, uh, does not accept this, and uh, with a little advice from Guinan, realizes that he can get help, and he enlists the help of James Kirk, brings him out of the Nexus and into uh, the situation they travel back to stop Soren and uh, prevent him from being able to launch his device. And they are successful, but Kirk does die in the attempt to stop Soren. Uh, where do I have problems with this movie? Let me count the ways. Uh, <laughs> Generations is not a good movie. Um, I, I, I will say that off the bat. While I, I generally try to find the, the good things to talk about with films, especially with a Star Trek film, there's just so much wrong um, with this film. It is written in such a way that it feels very much like uh, an episode of the show, but that's not a good thing in this case because it is blown out of proportion and stuffed full of things in order to try and make it seem like a bigger, grander adventure on the big screen. And it's like, guys, this this is the kind of thing... Star Trek sells itself. You don't have to work as hard as you're doing with this. The inclusion of the original series cast... Honestly, if it was just the open, would be fine. If this was the end of James Kirk, that he died on the Enterprise B trying to help people and got blown out into space, that, that is a perfectly acceptable end for his character. It also ties in very nicely with a line that he says to Spock in Star Trek V, where he says, I've always known I'll die alone. And he's down in the bowels of the ship uh, trying to rig a deflector and do something when the energy ribbon lashes out and, and, and destroys that particular section of the ship that he's in. He's not in command. He's not on the bridge. He's not at the center of things. He doesn't have his full crew around him. He is isolated and alone. And that, to me, is a very acceptable way for Kirk to die. Instead, we get this... Um, protracted man-of-action sequence with him fighting Soren and, uh, you know, what what happens to him? Well, he essentially falls off a piece of scaffolding. The scaffolding breaks free and uh, plunges him into a canyon and kills him. What kind of of ending is that for a hero? What kind of ending is that for Kirk? It's terrible. It's, a, it's, it's just bad writing. It's lazy writing. It's somebody who doesn't know anything about Star Trek going, hey, you know what would be cool? What if we killed Kirk? Ooh, yeah, the infamy that would live because I wrote that script. Yeah, dude, you're not doing it right. It, it, it's, it's, it's just it's incredibly bad. All the more so surprising from the fact that the screenwriters are credited as Ron Moore and Brandon Braga, two guys that historically have written some of the best episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. So I'm not sure where this came from, and I'll be honest, I've never gone and done the research to try and find out, because I, I, I don't care enough. It's just it's just all around a bad ending. And I'm not saying this as an old-school Star Trek fan who didn't like what they did to his character. It's just it's against the character of Kirk. Apparently, the original ending uh, for this, the original scene as this was shot, was he gets the uh, thing and decloaks the launcher so that Picard can go and stop the thing. And then Shorn shows up behind him and shoots him in the back. And that was how they were going to do it. 
and they decided, oh, we we can't do that. That's not good. Even in the old westerns, the 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 you know the the bad guy never shoots the hero in the back. And I disagree. I disagree a hundred percent. If you're going to bring Kirk back into the segments with Picard just so that they can meet, this is a perfect way for him to go out. This is a man who, by his own admission has uh, cheated death, tricked my way out of death, patted myself on the back for my ingenuity. And so for death to catch up to Captain Kirk in such an undignified manner as getting shot in the back, there is a historical precedent for that. There is a uh, a feeling of, of poetic justice, if you will, versus the much more undignified, I fell off a bridge. And especially considering that also in Star Trek V, it's revealed that Kirk is a mountain climber. Now, you know, okay, so the bridge collapsed underneath and the scaffolding gave way. He couldn't do the... That's not exactly mountain climbing, I get it. But that's man versus the mountain, and Kirk conquered the mountain. So it just, it just doesn't ring true. I don't like that part of it. So I think it would have been better served for the story had we just had the original crew at the beginning on the Enterprise B. Lost Kirk, that would have been the end of it. Furthermore, (laughs) the whole idea of this nexus is a nebulous concept. Guinan describes it as, it was as if you were wrapped inside joy, like joy was something tangible that you could reach out and touch. What does that even mean? there, there, There is no... It's a drug? Well, no. It's it's an emotion. It's a happy... What is the nexus? Why does it interact this way? What does it do? And nobody can tell you because it's a completely made-up thing. So now we're stuck with this, well, we don't know what it is, and we don't really know what it does, but it does destroy ships. Well, then how did you get into it? How does the, how does the ribbon react to the matter of a ship that it can swat it like a fly and destroy several decks and put a hole in your ship and breach it to atmosphere but it doesn't do the same to the matter of a person and you become one with the nexus how is it that your mental state can influence things and you can actually change your fantasies within big problems big questions and no answers then she reveals to Picard that all time is accessible to him here that you can go back to whenever So Picard goes back to grab Kirk because, as Guinan says, in in his mind, he just got here, but he's already here. Well, by definition, anybody on the Enterprise, since the Enterprise crashed on Viridian 3 and then was wiped out by the Synergy Ribbon, anybody on the ship would be there. So he could have grabbed Riker. He could have grabbed Geordi. He could have grabbed Data. How about Worf? How about your chief of security? The Klingon, you know. And then... Instead of going back to just before Soren launched the, the device that destroyed the star, why didn't you go back to, I don't know, a couple days beforehand when you had him as a guest on your ship? You could have arrested him in 10 forward and been done with this whole thing. It didn't have to be Kirk. It didn't have to be set up the way that it was. The entire plot of Generations hinges on this, and it's flawed because of that. Now there's also a very unattractive B plot about uh, Data and his emotion chip and all credit to Brent Spiner who who gamely does the best he can with what he's given. 
um, but 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 listening to Data laugh at seven-year-old jokes, and you know, there, there's a few bits in there that yes, are humorous and are funny, but it becomes awkward. It becomes like Spider-Man Three, Peter Parker dancing down the street. It, it's funny, and then it gets sad um, because it, it's it's so ooh no. I could go on and on and on, and maybe over on my sister uh, podcast, uh, Flicks with Friends, I will at some point bring up all of the things that are wrong with generations. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's it's just not a very satisfying Trek experience. So you do not have to watch this one. In fact, I kind of recommend that you don't, unless you're just morbidly curious. Next up in 1996 comes First Contact. And this is uh, after a failed assault on Earth. The Borg return. Um, this time, they uh, go back in time to prevent first contact between humans and Vulcans by interfering with Zephyrin Cochran's warp test. Zephyrin Cochran, historically, is the man who created or invented warp drive on Earth. And uh, Picard and the Enterprise are caught up in what's called a temporal wake and inadvertently follow the Borg back into the past where they realize, oh, we have to take action because if we don't, the Borg will successfully assimilate Earth in the past and there won't be a federation in, in the present. None of our, you know, presence will work. Um, this is a much better movie. This is uh, just... This is kind of exceptional Star Trek. It's really well done. It's directed by Jonathan Frakes, who plays Commander Riker. It has moments of humor. It has moments of action. It has moments of, of, of shock and awe. Uh, it's a well-told story that still, while managing to be an action movie, also ties into kind of the values of Star Trek and what first contact actually means. Um, it uh, fills in a couple of gaps in uh, the history um, as far as uh, the, the often-mentioned Third World War, um, that we kind of hope never to get to that point of Star Trek history, but sometimes I fear we're going to have to go through all of the bad things in order to get to the good things on the other side. Uh, it's, it's just really, really well done. Now, I will say this. It's a movie that I don't know that if it's aged terribly well, and I don't know that it's as good as fandom tends to make it out. I really do enjoy First Contact, so let me make that clear right up front. But I also feel like maybe it's maybe it's a little blown out of proportion by fans. And I think a large part of fan reaction to it is coming off of Generations. Anything is going to look phenomenal compared to Generations. And so I, I think maybe that's kind of where, where some of that comes from. Um, but again, it's, it's got some stellar casting. Uh, we get Alfred Woodward. We get um, James Cromwell when, when he was still, um, you know, kind of a... Before he got rich and famous, as it were. Um, <laughs> how lucky we were to, to get him in this. Uh, there's just a, some, some outstanding stuff there. In 1998, we get Star Trek Insurrection, uh, which involves a Federation mission to essentially relocate a people off of a planet in order to take advantage of some uh, radiation that is native to the area 
and the collector that has been invented to collect this radiation, this radiation actually makes you younger. It, it is a revitalizing, you know, almost fountain of youth. And Starfleet has okayed getting rid of the people on this planet and shipping them somewhere else uh, so that they can collect the radiation. The collector will destroy the planet in the process, so it's not like they can do it sneakily. And Picard sees this as a very obvious violation of the Prime Directive. He, he sees it as uh, an affront to, to humanity, uh, and very rightly so. It's the trail of tears all over again. We are relocating people for the benefit of some other people. That's not good. It's not cool. And uh, decides that uh, he, he's going to uh, essentially mutiny and, and, and fight Starfleet on this because they're wrong. Now, this particular area of space is uh, inside something called the Briar Patch, and no subspace communications can get out. So it becomes a race to see, well, how long can we hold off the forces that are here in order for Riker and the Enterprise to escape and, uh, and, and, and get out uh, the word to Starfleet so that we can you know, raise the alarm and say, wait, 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 what's going on here? Somebody at the Federation has to know. Fandom at large does not like insurrection. Fandom at large considers insurrection to be an overblown TV episode. Like Generations, it's an episode of the show. It's just on the big screen. Unlike Generations, it's a much better episode of the show. It, it feels very natural in the, in the progression of things to tell a smaller story. I mean, we just assimilated Earth in the last one, so... We don't necessarily have to have big, earth-shattering consequences. This is just a smaller story. But the scope is still large. It's beautifully shot, again, by Jonathan Frakes. It, uh, it, it has some wonderful character moments. And I enjoy it. I don't see... I, I genuinely don't get where the hate comes from. Is it first contact? No. No, it isn't. But when you think back to the next generation of the television show, and what you remember as being good episodes, inner light, Picard lives a life on a, on a planet and lives an entire lifespan in 20 minutes. That's not an action episode. Um, you know, the, the thoughtful, thought-provoking science fiction, that's what Star Trek was known for, and I feel like that's more along the lines of where insurrection lies. Yes, there's a couple of action scenes because we're defending these people from... Uh, drones and yes, some of the effects are a little wonky because of the time frame that we're made. Let's keep in mind, 1998 CGI is running amok at this point, and uh, so there are definitely some some ups and downs. But I still think it's a solid entry in, in, into the into the canon. And that wraps things up for the next gen crew in 2002 with Star Trek Nemesis in which we learn that the Romulans have cloned Picard. And uh, this clone, when regimes changed, uh, was suddenly deemed as no longer needed and no longer viable and was sentenced to a, a, a mining colony. Uh, well, he, he doesn't take kindly to that, so he assassinates the entire Romulan Senate, assumes absolute power as Praetor, lures Picard and the Enterprise to Romulus under the false pretext of a peace overture 
and uh, then reveals his ultimate weapon, which uh, he is going to take to Earth. It's this massive predatory spaceship that is armed to the gills with every weapon imaginable, including something called the Thalon radiation. Thalon, I can't even pronounce it, uh, radiation thing that's going to destroy all life on Earth. Now, again, fandom, not fans of this. Um, the film was both a critical and commercial failure when it was released. Now, here's why it was a failure at the box office. First of all, four years had passed between Insurrection, which again was not exactly burning down the house box office number-wise. It was too long in coming. They didn't quite know where they wanted to go with the next movie, and it took them too long to get it to theaters. So in that time that had passed, people had kind of forgotten about Star Trek. Also, what had come out, well, 1999, we get Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, which admittedly also not well received by, uh, by, by critics and, and fans, but yet you have to cast your mind back to what 1999 was like. Star Wars was back. That was all that mattered. didn't matter if it was good Star Wars. It was just Star Wars was back. So everybody was riding that high. Thirdly, you got to look at the release date. Star Trek Nemesis released December 13th. It was in direct competition with Die Another Day, the last of the Pierce Brosnan and James Bond films. It was competing with Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, the second Harry Potter film? Are you kidding me? Oh, and you know what else was that? Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. This was a very crowded time full of box office juggernauts. And Nemesis got lost in the shuffle. It was, it was, there, were, there were just many factors that failed. Whether the movie's good or not, there were many factors that, that caused this thing to fail. Now, again, I actually like Nemesis. I don't think Nemesis is a bad movie. There are some clunky pieces, and there are some parts of it that don't work. But overall, I think Nemesis is a pretty solid entry um, in, in the, in the next-gen, and, and even in the overall Star Trek film release schedule. Is it the worst of the next-gen films? Heck no. That honor goes to generations. See my previous comments. Um, does it, at times rip off other Star Trek films, specifically Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan? Well, yes, it does. There are some moments that are very, we see what you're doing. You're being manipulative to our emotions because you're, you're echoing something that has already happened. You're tugging on that sentiment and expecting it to be just as impactful. And honestly, I, I think it, it, it largely still is successful. This might be a topic for another time or another show, but I... I, I I don't hate on Nemesis. I just, I, I can't. It's Star Trek. It was the final Star Trek film to feature the Next Generation cast. Um, and maybe that's a good thing, because as much as I enjoy the Next Gen cast, and as much as I enjoy the Next Gen movies, flawed as they are, I do think they worked much better on television. And I think that is very evident when you watch... Star Trek Picard, specifically the third season, which does feature the return of all these characters. The third season of Star Trek Picard feels like this is what should have been on TV. This is the next movie. This is what we should have gotten all along, is this.
As always, thank you guys so much. I know uh, I've prattled on a little long in the tooth on this one, but I uh, wanted to get all those in. I, we thank you so much for supporting Traveling the Vortex, and uh, this is just a little bonus content uh, that um, people keep clamoring for more. Maybe not clamoring, but people keep asking me when's the next one coming out, so here's the next one for you. And yes, I will get back and do more Deep Space Nine and go to Voyager and possibly even into New Trek. Who knows? Uh, just depends on what people ask. Um, so, as always, uh, you can find us at TravelingTheVortex.com. You can find my sister podcast, uh, Flicks with Friends, at FlixWFriends.com. Um, and uh, get more information and uh, more in-depth on all of these movie titles uh, that I've been throwing out there. And yes, I will do more Star Trek for you. Until next time... I'm Sean. Thanks so much. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.